This is the Digital Agency Insiders Podcast. Inside, you'll learn how to build, grow, and scale your digital marketing agency all from the comfort of your favorite coffee shop. Let's get started with the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome again to the Digital Agency Insiders Podcast. This is a podcast that gives you a little inside look into how entrepreneurs built and grew their digital marketing agencies. Uh, My name is Tabitha Thomas. I'm your host. And if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. We're super excited to have you. Uh, And if we can, encourage you to go and hit that subscribe button as we release new episodes each and every Tuesday with a new entrepreneur. So let's get into today's episode. Today, I have with me Steve Pakros. Steve is the CEO of Verblio. Verblio, a multimedia content creation platform that powers modern content marketers and SEO agencies. Steve brings more than 20 years of startup, Fortune 500, and nonprofit experience to his row at Verblio. As CEO, he applies leading marketing and SaaS principles to provide a high-quality content creation platform. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm hoping to goodness I didn't just butcher the name. It is Verblio, right? You did great. Saying the CEO of Verblio is a really hard thing to say. <laughs> you're doing so many videos in a day, your tongue just automatically gets all twisted up. <laughs> so you've got over 20 years of experience and that's really bringing a lot to the table. So did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur and a business owner, or is that something that just kind of naturally happened along the way? So it happened along the way. I think everything I did uh, through my career is figure out what I'm really interested in at that time and only do that. And then I'd like to say that when people share a resume with you, they have this amazing way of talking about how every step was logical and planned and all built up to the culmination of whatever they did last and why they should work for you. Uh, I don't think real life really works that way. Uh, And I found that all of the experiences that I picked up along the way, that the things that aren't on my resume, I was also a tour guide of North America for six months. I was a financial reporter in Santiago, Chile. I uh, worked in nonprofits in San Francisco. I had a bizarre job at Citibank Latin America in Fort Lauderdale. I think all of these things, like they all come together and they become really an interesting hodgepodge of how you get to do what you want next. And the more you open yourself up to, the more you can figure out what you really wanna do when you actually get there. That's so very true. Yeah. If it's funny, if you ever ask somebody like all of their list of the things they've done, but you didn't ask them again, no, no, no. Like, what are the oddball ones? Like I used to work for a fertilizer plant. Most people are like, what? I'm like, yeah, I used to drive a forklift. (laughs) They're like, that's the craziest thing ever. But all of those experiences lead up to where you are today, regardless if they're applicable or not. So that's. So as a tour guide in North America, I gave three week tours from New York to LA uh, mostly, and all they did was just give me a van. It was before cell phones and I could make up my own trip. Uh, and so basically I gave tours of cities that I'd never, ever been to before and acted like I'd done it. And which I think is really perfect. It's a perfect background for leading a tech startup. That is, that has to be one of the funnest jobs you've ever had at least. (laughs) It was great. (laughs) I can't only imagine that sounds almost like a dream job to me and really. So tell us a little bit about Verblio and how does Verblio create content for agencies? So give us the spill. What does it, what does it look like? So Verblio really is at the intersection of the future of work and the future of marketing. And I think both of the trends are really exciting places to be and bring together 
that nonprofit uh, piece of the future of work and also the future of marketing of how do you create effective, powerful new marketing channel that others don't have access to. And so on the work side, we bring together three pieces to the puzzle, which is a marketplace of great curated writers. We have 3000 writers who work for us very actively. Um, we have a SaaS platform that really focuses on how to make content creation both as easy to manage as possible, which is a big challenge for agencies, but also how do you get the most effective content? Because the purpose of the, of the platform is to download your preferences to the writers with as little friction as possible, and then to do it at scale. And the third piece is really a professional services team that can help your agency scale at whatever level you wanna enter. So would you like to have a self-service marketplace and just wanna keep costs as low as possible? Your team can do it, great. Would you like to have a team that SEO optimizes every post, turns it into videos, post it on your CMS? We have that too. Or would you like to supplement your team and just say, we just need somebody to run the entire thing. I don't even wanna look at your platform. Uh, and so when you put those three elements together, you can do some really exciting things. And so I think this concept started, you know, 20 years ago, I've been working with what used to be called crowdsourcing. When you, you know that when you yeah. start saying terms that were used to call my industry, that you've been in the industry for a long time. Um, we used to call this crowdsourcing. I worked with one of the original crowdsourcing companies called LiveOps, which focused on the call center space and had 20,000 call center agents uh, and did some really amazing things and grew to a pretty, pretty uh, successful large size. Um, and I think that, the, you know, that was happening at the exact same time that the SaaS revolution was taking place. And so SaaS was basically looking at one work type. How can you specialize and use technology to do, build this work type into something that's easier, more powerful, scalable, and easier to use than ever before? And I think the next transformation is how do you bring together the SaaS focus on one work type with highly skilled labor to bring them together to deliver solutions as an um, as an external uh, kind of link with your organization to be part of your ecosystem. So we do that and we focus on digital agencies and powering their needs of how do you create some really super complex challenges in agency content land. That's so amazing. So what got you into the content creation side of things? Is there a path that took you there and that's like a passion of yours or is there something else that just led you down there to, to starting Verblio? Well, one, one thing I should say up front is I did not start Burblio. Oh, okay. Uh, it was founded by two amazing co-founders who put a lot of risk on the table and uh, dedicated their lives and, uh, and sweat and tears to getting it to a point where they could hire me as a, as a, as a, as a takeover CEO, uh, okay. which I really appreciate. That was about four years ago. So they ran it for about six years and then I took over. Um, it was founded by a journalist who had become an entrepreneur. So his story is much better for your podcast story, but his is excellent. I like all stories. <laughs> and he was interested in two things. He wanted to solve the challenge of where do all of his out of work journalist friends apply their talents? They should all be put to use in the modern economy. Uh, he was looking at models like LiveOps, which is where I met him. That was my former company. So he's reaching out to me to talk about things like that. Uh, and then he was looking for what big uh, business challenges are out there. So I really loved the part of the origin story of our company is that we started from the supply side as opposed to the demand side. We have a bunch of great talent. How could we apply that to a modern business problem? That's amazing. So you've got 3000 writers. How do you guys find the really creative and great talent that you've got? So my 
I think that the, the challenge to me is actually a little bit different, which is how do you, if you create a platform, so we try to be the most writer friendly platform. We want to be the place where writers want to work. That okay. spirit of being founded by a journalist, I think is important. And we have a lot of ways that I think are kind of part of our secret sauce about how do we motivate and create great writers. We think happy, motivated writers create much better content. Um, and so the, if you create great gig economy jobs, gig economy is another loaded term right now. Uh, let's just say high skilled freelancer uh, opportunities where skilled, skilled freelancers have the opportunity to have good work on a consistent basis that values them, that reaches out to them where they have career development opportunities, you are going to attract a heck of a lot of applicants. And so basically, just like content marketing, the idea is you create a lot of great content and then your leads find you as opposed to the other way around. We try to build great opportunities for writers and then great writer applicants come to us. So, so how do you weed through all of the great applicants and find the stars that really shine through all that? Because lots of people can apply, but that doesn't mean they're all going to be great. That is, uh, that is the hard part. So it it's is. not easy, and that's why we think we do it. So uh, it has a few elements to it. So the first is curation. So we have a really challenging, it's a dang challenging writing or test that about 4.5% of our applicants actually pass. Um, our head of writers told me that I passed by one question, but I can't tell if she was telling me that just to make sure that I felt good. Um, <laughs> so there's an upfront, there's some basics to writing. Can you just get the fundamentals? all the things that are like the, the craft of writing. Uh, and then there are a few other pieces to it. So the second is that we segment all of our writers into what, what do you like to write about? What do you have experience have uh, writing about? So we segment them into 39 different uh, industry segments so that those pools are available for our clients when they come to us. One of my favorite stats about our company is we ask our clients to rank, to register what is your industry and 52% of them say other. So. We write for segmented industries and the long tail niches. Oh gosh. <laughs> Do you, is there a, is there a fill in the blank there for what the other is? <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. And it covers the gamut, but I mean, I think that's, what's fun, right? You're creating a marketplace. Yeah. If you have 3000 writers, they can write about anything. anything. Uh, so then the next piece is um, how do you actually figure out who's good? So especially in a really subjective universe, which is so preference filled like writing, mm -hmm. So we uh, build a lot of that into our platform. We ask our clients to download, give us as much about your company and your preferences as you like. Is it evergreen? Is it fun and whimsical? Um, give us an example of your, the most important question we ask is give us an example of a piece that you like. Uh, okay. And so that really helps uh, generate our, help our writers figure that out. Um, our writers, um, choose which topics. One of the ways that we inverted the model is our writers choose what topics they want to write on as opposed to you choosing them based on a profile picture. Um, we think that looking at their work is more motivating and kind of will get you a better product. Sorry about the airplane overhead. Yeah. Uh, work from home all the time. Yeah, um, exactly. Near an airport, apparently. <laughs> so, um, so part of the, so the other two pieces are we curate, we ask them up front, uh, or we do a test up front. We do some basic level of QA just to make sure that was correct. And then all, a lot of it relies on feedback from the clients. So the clients only accept pieces of, of writing that they like and are acceptable to them. So our clients will never take a, uh, have to buy a piece of content that they don't like. Uh, but all we ask is that you give clients, uh, give our writers feedback on every piece, 
If you accepted it, you loved it, why? If you didn't like it um, and want to reject it, why? And if you want edits, why? And then we, part of our platform is we share all of those preferences that you give to any writer with all of your pool of writers that will write for you. Um, so a couple things come out of that is we fine tune the system. This is, we find that soon that your preferences so that you're building a team of writers that gets you and it gets you out of the conundrum of, do I have one freelancer who's great, highly expensive and unavailable? Or do I have 10,000 mediocre writers who just don't get me? So we're trying to hone that team through our platform. Uh, and the second is if, you, if our writers are not getting uh, good feedback from the clients and the clients aren't accepting their pieces, they're going to go away. So yeah. it's going to naturally have a virtuous cycle of finding better and better writers that uh, for us to concentrate on. Gotcha. So do your writers only get paid for the work that's accepted or are they contracted in a different way? They only get paid for the work that's accepted. So okay. what that means is uh, one is we think it builds better long-term incentives on uh, basically aligning incentives on both sides between client and writer. It also means that the startup time for becoming a verbally a writer takes a little bit longer as you have to trust us and believe it's there. Um, we think it's pretty aligned with how freelancers go for gigs anyway. You apply, yeah. you get a free piece, and then you get to figure it out. Uh, you just have to know that clients are going to start accepting those and building up. So one of the drawbacks to our system is it takes us a little bit longer to bring on some great writers, but we're working on that. But hey, when you find a good one, that's worth the process completely. So you'd much rather have a long process and find the great ones than a short process and have really not so great. <laughs> so what does it look like on the agency side of things? How much are they paying for the services? And are they, is it a customizable thing? Like they're only paying for, are they asking and requesting one at a time or is it a, a group type thing? So the agency experience is, so about two, first of all, two thirds of our, of our business is with digital agencies. We pride ourselves on being the most agency forward and focused uh, content creation platform. Um, so there's my little plug. Um, and then our, some of the ways that we go about that are, we have a white label platform. So of course the content comes from us. We help you find your pool of writers. Our model is really based on subscriptions. So we're really in line with kind of the the HubSpot inbound marketing mentality of the purpose of content is to be ongoing and to be part of the great marketing that you do on every given month. Um, and so we're basically sell subscription by client and that can be the, the, the way that you choose these are you choose word length, um, you know, basically starting at 300 words going up to 3000 plus. Um, then you choose frequency, how many times a month do you want that? Then you choose level of enhancement, which is, do you want us to, we acquired a video company to translate written content into quick video content uh, a couple years ago. Uh, and then we have level cool. of professional services. Would you like to do it all yourself or would you like to do us forward or do it forward? Uh, and then our pricing starts around, I think it's uh, 129 uh, 95 for a thousand words. So somewhere around 12 to 13 cents a word, depending on what else you wanna to add to it. Um, so we try to make it as convenient as possible. We try to, um, a couple other pieces. We don't like the, the one-off work. We don't think it leverages our system. It's not what we're built for. We're built for content as a competitive advantage and doing it at scale versus mm -hmm. here's a project and um, we're looking for one writer. Uh, we are doing a lot of larger scale content work right now, especially, you know, uh, we're talking three months into, well, into the main, to the the main force of the COVID crisis. And there's a lot of focus on kind of big SEO content projects like, can you do 
can you refresh a thousand blog posts and uh, get more more juice out of that? Can you redo five thousand product descriptions and things of that nature, which I think are it's really interesting because everything about content and SEO is usually so long-term strategy to be at the front end, yeah. front of the spears, and not a place we usually get to hang out. So I'm guessing with the the COVID crisis that you guys saw a spike in your business because I'm sure everybody, even everybody's realizing how important it is to have an online presence. So I, did you have a spike or was it pretty pretty even? It has been a, a roller coaster ride. Uh, it started off with a dramatic pause and shift. And so okay. the first month and a half, so March was our biggest month ever, which was really exciting. Is If you're gonna go into a horrible economic crisis, then you should go in strong. Um, mm -hmm. And then we saw about 15 to 20% of our business either pause or just disappear in a month and a half. Uh, and so we did a lot of segmentation analysis and that was really, you know, it's all who you'd expect. It's the front lines, it's the SMBs who can't afford, like it was mission critical and they just couldn't keep going. And it was industries that were most, most affected. Starting May 1st, we saw a dramatic rise in larger and larger clients investing more into content. And so, you know, there's the, content is always the right uh, option. And I, so I just wrote a post last week that was called uh, Content Was King. Content and is King, gone. yeah. And then it got- I promoted. saw that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Um, I, I think it's totally true. Uh, so first of all, content only became more important as you were alluding to. Uh, for two reasons. One is these, there's no other games in town. You used to have to choose which mm -hmm. of like the various channels you wanted to focus on in marketing. Now there's just a lot less to work with. The second is the appropriateness of the channel given the crisis that we're in. You have to be so conscious of tone, uh, empathetic to your audience and wait for them to engage with you when they're ready. And it's really a strategy that helps that helps you in the long term that's ready uh, right now for whenever your audience is going to come to you. So uh, starting March for our May 1st, things have gone, we've seen a dramatic rise, especially in really large clients doing uh, tremendously large orders of these SEO kind of like the, the content refresh type of programs in addition to much bigger subscriptions. Like people trying to do like 20 to 30 articles per month per client to try to really build a competitive advantage versus the keep the lights on type of clients. Yeah. Well, I'm sure everybody at the first was just trying to get a feel for what it was going to be like. Okay. We survived that. Let's keep going and go in and head strong. So yeah. that's, uh, <laughs> it's enough to, yeah. Roller coaster. You've got that look on your face. Like, yes, <laughs> it was a major roller coaster. <laughs> Let's hope we don't do that again. Yeah. No, no, no more crises. I'm done with this, this, and you're in Colorado. I don't know if you, there was some kind of dust storm that came through this last weekend. It was like, really one more thing. At first it was the 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 what was the killer wasps killer bees whatever it was and now the dust storm i'm like i'm i'm done with 2020 <laughs> yes. just done 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 i'm ready for everything to go back to quote unquote normal so uh so through all the projects and teams and businesses throughout the years is there a story that sticks out in your mind um that has helped push you to where you are today it's such an interesting question. There's like, you know, there's the personal side and then there's like the business side and I have a story for both. I'll start on the business side. Okay. I will say okay. that it was, it was the time that I, uh, so LiveOps was a very foundational company for me. I joined there in 2004. Uh, it was with a bunch of the original Netscape team. We had a bunch of the original chief scientists from Netscape and like these guys could create anything. They created the internet, then they could create anything. Um, and I just remember coming from a nonprofit background so I'd been in nonprofits working on 
how do I create jobs for people? Yeah. Um, and for people who most need them, for people who are most underprivileged and have less access to them, and all of those projects are so slow. We had so few resources. Everything was like I would do an affordable housing project that would take three years and $10 million, and we would get like 15 units. And like, you're just making such a small dent in the world. And I just remember, holy, the two things. One is the real, um, one is on the worker side, the realization that we just found gig economy jobs, like before that word existed for like 20,000 home-based call center agents was just, it just hit me over the head with the opportunities that you could do if you bring together these things together. And the second is on yeah. the on kind of the business solution side. Um, I was running, I was uh, spent a lot of my, my life before becoming a CEO, starting the, the second business unit, the second big product of a company that's trying to figure out what do we do next. And so I was doing that at LiveOps in a pretty kind of exciting partnership marketing type of business. And we were working with a large, uh, with a large insurance company. I can't remember if I'm allowed to say it or not. Uh, and they came back to us and they were one of my partners. We were helping market their products. And they said, can you be our call center? Or maybe it was the other way around. I think I was selling it to them. And I said, I would like to be your call center. Uh, what does it take to get there? They said, well, what you need to do is you need to have licensed insurance agents that are officially licensed in all 50 states and appointed by our company. And I said, how much does that cost? They said $8,000 pretty much is what it costs to license every single agent. Um, so who could actually do that? And so what we did is we reached out to our 20,000 call center agents. And we said, how many of you are insurance agents? And 500 of them said we are. And so the power of that was I was helping manage one of the largest insurance call centers in the world and didn't know it. And so we built that into a business line because being able to write calls by by state license, by national license, by appointment is really powerful. And so that was one of the things that I took to Verblio. We just, uh, one of my favorite Verblio examples is we did almost the exact same model with legal content. We have a huge um, uh, legal SEO client called rankings.io um, that many of you probably have heard of. Uh, and they said, we wanna have uh, a lawyer edit every single piece of content, um, you know, which is a really expensive proposition. Lawyers oh, yeah. who do this are very expensive. And they're also, as soon as they find out that they're available, somebody poaches them for you. So we reached out to our writers and we had 10 JDs who like writing for us in our platform. And so over the last two years, we've created over 4,400 pieces of legal content, all reviewed by attorneys that were delivered before the, the service level due date. That, the one thing that's boggling me is that you wouldn't think that the call center would have insurance agents and you wouldn't think that your writers would be lawyers. So the fact that I don't even think that would even apply to me to even ask that or consider that as, as a possibility. So that's, that's incredible that those people were right there. It's people are so multi-talented. <laughs> and I think it's one of my biggest challenges, like as, as a company as Verblio, how do we, it goes back to your original question, how do we curate and segment these writers to figure out who's available that can do what to help do subject matter expertise and quality at scale? Oh, yes. So over the years, I'm just digging in here. What's been your least favorite job that you've ever had and why? I know it's not the cross crunchy one because that had to have been the best. <laughs> but out of all of them, which one's been your least favorite? The I have taken a, a dance in the uh, Fortune 500 financial services world a couple times along the way. 
I will just say that it does not agree with me in many ways. Um, and you didn't learn your lesson the first time, right? <laughs> yes, I will. Uh, I'll give a funnier story of this. Uh, all of them have the same structure, which is that uh, very little room for creativity. The larger an organization gets, the more processes are built up. You guys all know the innovator's dilemma and the innovator's solution. The entire concept is you build a giant structure to make sure you stay focused on doing the one thing you do well. I was always brought in as the innovation person to make sure that we do something new. And I just didn't really understand how structurally impossible that was till later. So uh, I was hired at a large financial services company to be their product innovation lead uh, in a company that was 160 years old and had 160 years of practice of not innovating anything new. That, that does sound um, a little bit awful. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit awful. So can you tell us a little bit about your work as a mentor at Galvanize Inc? I will. Um, so I'll talk more about a, a work as a mentor. I haven't been doing as much with Galvanize lately, um, though I'd like to be. I think, um, I think a big part of the Tech Foundation is the concept of pay it forward and give back. Um, especially in Colorado has a very different vibe than the Valley. The Valley is really fast paced. So if you like, if you reached out to my business school network in, um, in the Bay Area, you would have very few takers who want to guide you. In Colorado, I reach out to the exact same network. Everyone will take up, pick up my call. Uh, I want to yeah. be part of that. I've learned from them. And uh, so there's so many small companies that are getting off the ground. Uh, it does two things. One is it you can provide value and helping guides companies that aren't there yet. The second is it's a real nice revelation to how much you've learned over the years. Um, I don't know if you've all experienced this, but the question of like, when have you, when did you really feel like an adult? Uh, I still don't feel like an adult. Don't. <laughs> 10 years from now I will, but I feel the same way about like, will I ever be, you know, the executive that I want to be? And it really helps just level set you on, um, and uh, as far as how far you've come, but it also gives you a lot of new ideas about remembering some of the fundamentals that you just don't think about on a daily basis anymore. Well, yeah, that's gotta put you in the right frame of mind when it comes to answering some of your client questions. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So are but, there any, uh, go ahead, I'm sorry. One more thing about that, which is like, you know, at a certain point, there's nothing better than thinking about other people's problems. Mm-hmm. I, you know, somebody's asked me, I was on a podcast the other day and they asked me, you know, you interview all of these entrepreneurs, is there one thing that they all have in common? And I knew it immediately. I said, yes, they all have this burning desire to help others. Every mm -hmm. one of them. That's like the one thing they all have in common. It doesn't matter what they're selling, what they're doing, how they're doing it. Their one thing they all talk about is how much they want to help other people succeed. Period. I like that. I will use Yeah. That. Yeah. So, well, that's one of the reasons when I open all these podcasts, I always ask about the journey to becoming an entrepreneur, what it looked like for you and, and those kind of things. And everybody's journey to become where they are is different. And like you said, you have all these different jobs and different things that you do and it's, 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 but it builds who you are in the end. But, and all of these entrepreneurs have so many variances and differences, but you know, helping others, that's, that's the, that's the foundational block right there. I like that. One, just one other note on that thought, which I think is really important is uh, going back to the resume conversation is how many people take out the most interesting things in their resume and just strip it out thinking that those aren't interesting. I want to yeah. talk about those. I want to know, well, at our company, we specifically try to hire people who have had service experience. If you've worked at a, if you've been bashed as a waiter or a waitress, you have great experience in client service. 
<laughs> yeah, you got to be able to handle that. <laughs> so if you were to write your resume, what would be the one quirk or thing about you that you would put on that resume? Thank God I don't have to do that. And that's my question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the one thing I would write about is I would write about verbally. I'm one of my prou proudest experiences. It's my first time as a CEO. I've done doing this for four years. We've tripled the size of the company in the time that we've uh, expanded the number of clients that we're helping out and we're I built a team that I just could not be more excited about and proud of and love working with uh, and then also we have uh, we've created some great writer opportunities for for jobs that didn't post out there so one is I'd say it's about Verblio but it's also a recency bias I don't think any time in my life you would have asked me the thing I'm most proud about would have been whatever I was doing right then and then the truth isn't that the truth so it brought a question to my mind so as somebody that helps writers find clients to write for, is there anything that you could give as an agency owner advice on how to find really good writers or how to talk to them about your business and how to better give information for those writers? I think it's the most important tool. And I think you, that, I mean, that is the key. Uh, you can only use uh, a partner, a strategic partner. If you can answer, if you can actually download those preferences, so we try to put that into our platform where we have a group of sliders of helping kind of fine tune your tone, giving examples of the type of things that we're looking for. Uh, but those examples, I'm gonna take it a step back. Uh, I hired a, uh, there was a time in our life we had to uh, have a, an au pair help us out with childcare. And the head of the au pairs, I know this is gonna sound random, but this is sometime how my tangents go. I guess that's the definition of tangent. So uh, she walks in, uh, the woman who runs the au pair program, and it says, you've never had somebody live in your house before, and you have no idea what your preferences are. You're going to tell me what you think those are, and you're going to tell him up front, and you're going to probably capture 10% of those. And so, for example, see how I put my fork like this? You're probably going to want the fork to go like that, but you didn't know that until you saw it happen. Um, and I thought that was really powerful example for me, which is one is get as much in there as possible, over communicate. Uh, your writers want to hear a heck of a lot more because especially in our platform, they're only getting paid if they get it right. Uh, and the second is that it is a process and it will be an ongoing feedback loop. So uh, bringing on freelance writers is the same as bringing on employee. You have to have an onboarding period. You have to have patience. You're going to have to work for a while before it's perfect. It's not, sometimes you'll know if the writer is a good fit and has potential, but don't give up immediately if they're, if they're slightly off. A lot of it is up to you in thinking about this as a partnership with that writer, even if it's through a, through a platform uh, versus this is a, a, you know, a faceless car that you're passing by. These are partners in your company. Yeah. That's good advice. Very good advice. And it's, it's so funny because I think a lot of people are like, I'll just fill out this form and it'll take me 10 minutes. No, it needs to take a lot longer than that. Cause you really, the more information you give, the better outcome you're going to get in the end. So I'm glad that we hit on that. So uh, one of the last questions that I always like uh, asking, is there anything that you're currently reading, listening to, or watching that's helping you grow as a, as an uh, entrepreneur? Um, I mean, and I'm an avid, avid reader and uh, deeply into uh, history in particular. So uh, so I'm reading, a, a, I just finished a, a book called um, um, American Nations, which was about all of the, uh, the 
basic concept of the of the of America was that we were all one country. We stood up, we fought for freedom, and then we got the freedom. And it basically talks about how we are actually the amalgamation of multiple different cultures that have still existed to this date. And we are basically just repeating history and whatever the founding culture is that comes into that region, whether they stay in that region, like the Pennsylvania um, kind of Midlanders who then spread out and then moved to Toronto, wherever yeah. they started stays with the culture forever. Um, and so one was just the historical perspective, how that relates to business. There's always like the best thing about reading random things is just how it comes back is how, imp how important that cultural basis is for your company. Uh, yeah. You can't invest in this later. It has to be right now, because even if you are 5% of the population that created the culture, that will be the culture of your company for a long time to come. All right. I like it. I have to check those out. I'm, I'm more into uh, history documentaries on TV than I am books, because I'll fall asleep reading those books. <laughs> but I definitely have my fair share of, uh, of uh, documentaries online. So, All right. So where can we learn more about Verblio? Tell us some more about that. Uh, so a couple places. So uh, verblio.com, verb, V-E-R-B-L-I-O.com. Um, you can find out a lot about us there. But I also, we have a podcast and our podcast is called The Verblio Show. Uh, and you can find us interviewing lots of folks that are either top agencies, top marketers, or people that influence us from any aspect of the business world there. Uh, and you can find that on any podcast platform. All right. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for being on the podcast. I've enjoyed getting to know you and learning about all, everything that's brought you to where you are today and uh, talking about the Colorado region a little bit. So thanks for being with us. Thanks, Tabitha. Thanks so much for having me. Thank all right, guys. We'll see you next Tuesday. You've been listening to the Digital Agency Insiders Podcast. For more tutorials on growing your digital marketing agency, make sure to visit digitalagencyinsiders.com.